Amen. The city's packed. It's the great festival of Pentecost. Fifty days after Passover, this is the great next festival in the country of Israel. If you're a Jewish man, there's three festivals that if you live within 20 miles of Jerusalem that you go to to celebrate with your family every year. The first is Passover. That's where they killed Jesus. Fifty days later, Pentecost, the celebration of first fruits, the celebration of God giving the law to your people. The city is packed. The streets are filled. People are everywhere. And as you make your way through the city and through the crowds, you eventually make it to the house that you've been looking for. You get to the outer gate, you lift the latch, you walk in, and there they are. The ones that you've been hearing about, sitting, praying, some of them studying the scriptures. You've been told that they've been sitting there for the last 10 days, waiting for something to happen. You take your seat along the adobe wall, sitting there watching some pray, some study. Eventually, people would get up and they would stretch their legs and they would begin to talk and ask questions. Questions like, when the Holy Spirit comes, do you think we'll notice him? Well, Jesus said that he would be powerful, so I, I think so. Well, what do you think the Holy Spirit is? Well, I don't know. Do you think it's cool? Probably. What do you think he's going to do? I don't know. So many questions for 10 days that Jesus has left these guys to sit and to pray and to ponder, to wonder what the Holy Spirit is all about. And then suddenly in the house, there's a sound like a wind, not on the outside, but in the inside. As you look around, nothing's being disturbed, but there's this sound that is so loud that people from the outside come rushing into the inside. And as they enter the house, they get there just in time to see what looks like flames, tongues of flames falling upon the people. All of a sudden, people begin to talk in different languages, known languages. They pour out into the streets, heading to the temple, because that's where you go when this kind of stuff happens. The crowds are amazed. Whispers under their breaths, questions like, aren't these the hicks from the hills up north? Aren't these Galileans? Peter, standing there, begins to teach one of Jesus' guys. And again, the crowds are amazed because Peter sounds just like Jesus. And on that day, 3,000 people fall on their knees and give their lives to God. On that day, the local church is born. And the message is clear, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, gone to the cross to die for the forgiveness of sins, raising three days later, validating his message. And if you believe, you're a part of the family adopted as a child. And from this moment, a movement explodes. We read about stories like this in the scriptures, and we go, does God still work like that today? I mean, does God still work in that way today? It's a good question. We're in week three of a three-week series where we've been walking through this series that we called Ghost, where we're looking at all things Holy Spirit. And over the last couple of weeks, we explored who the Holy Spirit is. Last week, we, we explored and discovered what it means to, to quench the presence of the Spirit in, God, in our lives, the Spirit of God in, God in our lives. And as we step into today, I just have one simple goal. And my simple goal is to inspire you to live a life filled of the Spirit, that you would live a Spirit-filled life. Because the reality is, is that God isn't just like renting space in here for us believers. It's not like, like God is just looking for a, a, a space to crash, you know, a pad to crash on for a season, but that God has indwelt us, that the Spirit of God resides in his people so that we might be empowered for good works and the building up 
of the church. See, sometimes when it comes to this Bible stuff, we look at this as like a big history lesson. And that we come into these spaces so that we would know more, that we would learn more, so that we'd walk away more educated. And yet the reality is, is that the reason that we're doing this series is not so that we would walk away smarter. The reason that we're doing this series is ultimately, is ultimately because we believe that the way that God dealt with people in here is the way that God deals with people today. The exact same. And if God worked through the early church, through the early church, just like the story that I recounted to you of Pentecost at the beginning of Acts, if God worked that way in the early church and early Christians, then the expectation is that he works in the same way today. It's the same God. He hasn't changed. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and you want to follow along. You can go ahead and open them to Acts chapter 3. We're going to be in Acts chapter 3 and 4 today. And as we get into it, I just want to pray with us. And so would you bow your head and pray with me? Father, Lord, we come into your presence knowing that you are here. here. And we ask, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit. That we would see what you are calling us to see. That we experience what you want us to experience on this day. And Lord, that your spirit would be vibrant in our lives even now. And Lord, we pray that as we go through your word together. In the power of Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Here's what Luke, the writer of this uh, gospel, writes to us. It's this. He says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now, this is a few days after Pentecost when this story is taking place, about two weeks after, the, the, after Pentecost and the birth of the church. And Peter and John are on the way to the temple to pray. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, Peter and John are like the big guys of the faith in the New Testament. They were Jesus' best buds. They, hang with, they hung with Jesus. They're Jesus' disciples. And we're told that they're on their way to the temple to do something very specific, that they're on their way to the temple to pray. Which, if you think about this, you might go, well, isn't that a little weird? I mean, didn't, didn't Peter and John, aren't they Christians? Don't they believe in Jesus? Why is it that they're going to, uh, to the temple, the Jewish temple, to pray? And the reason that they're going to the Jewish temple to pray is because when it comes to Peter and John, that they didn't see Judaism as like in opposition of Christianity. They saw that when it came to Judaism, that it was the, per, uh, the, the precursor of Christianity. That the gospel is not opposed to Judaism, that Judaism finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And so they're headed to the temple to pray during the time of prayer. And as they're on their way, what I want you to know is that these spirit-filled guys are already walking in God's direction. I want you to take notice of that. That these guys are already walking in God's direction. If you want to be a spirit-filled person, then you start here. By being tuned in, completely dependent upon God, walking in his direction. Because listen, God does his best work. God does his absolute best work when we're already walking in his direction. And for most of us, for most of us, we long, don't we? We long for the Spirit to be at work in us. That we go, God, like, like, would you just work within me? Would you do like the amazing that I see in here? Would you, would you do that through me that so that other people may come and know your good news? And, and we pray that and we yearn for that and we long for the God, God's Spirit to be in us. And it's almost as if in those moments 
that our, our default position is just to kind of sit back and to wait, as if God's not already moving. And I've just wondered, like, like did God really give us his spirit to go unnoticed in our lives? Did God really give us the power that raised Jesus from the dead to go undetected in our lives? And yes, for so many of us, we just kind of sit back and we wait and we go, God, why aren't you moving in my life? And God goes, I've already given you the spirit. Like, like start moving in my direction. That this opening verse here is so important. It sets the priority that these guys are walking with God. They're tuned in, dependent, and look what happens. Verse 2. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms for those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. So get this, they're on their way to the temple to pray, and they see a man who can't walk. We're told that he's lame and that he's been lame for close to 40 years. And he's sitting there begging. Now, just so that you understand this culturally, this is a little bit different than the way our culture works. See, in the Jewish culture, if you were unable to work because of your disability, then what the expectation is, is that you would make your way to the temple gates and that you would sit there and that you would beg. That's the way that you took care of yourself, that this was their version of social, social security, like their version of a disability check that this is the way that it happened. And so when people walked by, they didn't like dart their eyes or run the other way, that they would throw a few coins into the guy's bucket. And so this guy's life consisted every day, every day, of his buddies going and picking him up, bringing him to the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg for money. And every day people would pass by and they would throw a little bit into his bucket. And every day he would call out, and this had been going on, like I said, for decades. Now, who knows how many times Peter and John have walked by this guy in their life? How many times, how many times had Jesus walked by this guy in his life? But this day, for this guy, it's different. Because on this day, as Peter and John walk by this guy, they're filled with the Spirit, walking in God's direction, and they see this guy's need. Now, be sure, this crippled guy, he had no idea, he had no idea that for at least the last 40 years that he had been passed over for this day, where the Spirit would do something miraculous in his life, where it would do, be, do something so great, and his story would go and affect thousands upon people. For it is on this day that this guy will get up and he will sing and he'll praise God and dance. And once the people hear about his story, they'll go, how do I find Jesus? Where do I look for Jesus? Verse four. And Peter directed his gaze at him, the lame man, as did John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. You rise up and you walk. Like, like, this is one of the moments in Scripture, like, when I get to heaven, I want to have a conversation with Peter and John. Like, I want to look at Peter in the eyes, and I want to be like, Peter, like, like, when you went down this road, did you know what was going down? Like, were you confident in this, or were you, like, shaking in your boots? And for, for John, I want to look at John, and I want to be like, John, were you, like, next to Peter, like, cheering him on? Or were you, like, backing away from Peter going, dude, don't, don't open your trap, bro, right? Like, like, we've been down this road with Peter before, haven't we? 
It was John and Peter who got to go up to the top of the mountain with Jesus and what we call the transfiguration. It's not so much a miracle as it is like a pause in time where the curtains of heaven are pulled back and we see Jesus in all of his splendor and all of his glory and Moses and Eliza show up there. It's like this crazy scene and they're in this and they're having this powwow and talking and Peter's like on the outskirts and he just says like, hey guys, good to be here. Did you set up your tents? And the Bible covers for him and says, Peter didn't know what he was saying, right? Like is in Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus takes his disciples up to Caesarea Philippi and he asks them the question, who do people say that I am? And the guys start answering him. And then he says, but who do you say that I am? And it's Peter. It's Peter who says, Jesus, like, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus looks at Peter, and based on that confession, he says, I'm going to build my church. He gives this great promise. I'm going to build my church. And not even the gates of hell are going to be able to stand against it. And then Jesus makes this transition and he starts talking about the, the cross and crucifixion and that over the next year that, that his journey is ultimately to death. And Peter pipes up and he goes, Jesus, don't worry about all that cross nonsense. You don't have to do that. Like we're going to Jerusalem, you're going to be king. And Jesus looks Peter in the eye and he says, you get behind me, Satan. Peter had to be thinking in that. I, I should have stopped at Jesus as the Christ. Like that was a good place like, to stop. Who knows what's rolling through Pete's mind here? But something's different. He's tuned into the Spirit, and he speaks in boldness, and he says, you get up and walk, verse 7. And he took him by the right hand, and he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood, and he began to walk, and he entered into the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walk in praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And we read this and we go, whoa. Does God still do that today? Does God still work like that today? And Peter answers us in verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this and why do you stare at us as though by your own power or piety that we have made him walk? Translation, this should not surprise you. God is at work here. That God has poured out his spirit here. You obviously just can't see it. And we flash forward into our day, and the reality is, is we probably sit in the same spot, don't we? That our lives are, are so busy, that we have so much noise in our lives, that we live in this, this culture that's 24-7, always on demand, that we carry phones in our pockets that, listen, we touch an average of 2,600 times a day. Like any quietness that happens in our life, we, we fill it with, with noise. That we pack our agendas so full that when it comes to the buzzwords of our culture, it's like multitasking. And because I'm anal, right, I have to finish it all because that's victory, right? And in completing my agenda, I sometimes sit back at the end of the day and wonder if I've totally missed his because of the noise of my life. And when we open up the scriptures and we look at the life of Jesus, we begin to see that most of the God moments of Jesus' life happened in the interruptions. 
that he's going to teach somewhere, an interruption happened, God moment goes. Like it's never like, boys, hey, you know, I got to make it to such and such a place because there's a miracle that I got to do today. It never happens in the scriptures. It's like, I'm going to teach at this house, paralyzed man falls through the roof, sermon ruined, God happens. Like that's the way it happens. Like moment after moment after moment in the gospels, we see where Jesus is interrupted and then the amazing happens. Then God shows up. See, I don't think that God has stopped working in us the way that we read about in the Bible. I just think that we've are so lost in the noise, so wrapped up in the business of our, of our own life that we've unintentionally blocked God out. And yet how can I expect to live a life filled with the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, if I do not allow him to work inside of me because of the noise of my life? See, when we look at the lives of the early church, we come to realize pretty quick that they lived a lifestyle that showed that God does not follow our agenda. That life is full of these God moments. And if we would just allow some interruptions to take place in our lives, and if we could get past just simply looking at our needs and into the needs of others, that God would do amazing things through us. It's what Peter and John demonstrate here. They're going about their day. They're going to a specific place, the temple, at a specific time, the prayer time, which was 3 p.m., to do a specific task, that was to pray. And on their way there, they get interrupted, and God shows up. The amazing happens. And I step back and I go, man, like, like I wish that was my life. I wish that my life was like that, to be a part of something greater than, than my agenda, that I want to be filled with the Spirit in such a way that I see God moving in amazing ways in and through my life. Now, my dad is, is an amazing man of faith. I am who I am largely because of what I saw modeled and taught to me growing up. And my dad, every day when I was a kid, he would wake up early in the morning and he would read his Max Lucado study Bible. And then he would pray. And I saw this for years. And so in college, after one of his, after one of his uh, prayer times when I was home, I just asked him, I said, Dad, what is it that you pray for every day? And he said, I pray to God that I would have the eyes to see where he's working, and the courage to jump in and to boldly go where he's going. And that is a courageous prayer. That's a prayer that says, not my agenda, God, yours. That's a prayer that says, not what I have going on, what you have going on, God. That's, that's a prayer that says, God, you're free to interrupt me and set my ways, and I'll follow you. And maybe you're here today, and you're willing, and you want to, but you just don't know where to start. Like, how do you start in all of this? What does it look like to be spirit-filled in such a way that you, that you just start here? Well, my encouragement would be to you to start where Peter started. In verse chapter 6, where he, or, or in uh, verse 6 of chapter 3, he says, look, look, I don't have gold or silver to give to you, but what I have, you can have. I mean, what if we just started there with the willingness to share with others simply what God's given to us? I mean, have you ever, in, in, in all of your life, have you ever gone up to someone who you saw in need and said, man, I, I don't know if I have anything to offer you, but everything that I have right now in this moment, it's yours. It's yours. See, one of the things that I love about Crossroads Church is that we are a generous church. That part of our vision is to serve people towards Jesus. Our core value is that we love being generous, and we are. 
I mean, you may or may not know this, but over just the course of the last week, we uh, came alongside a, a mobile church this week who uh, is in this north area. They had their trailer stolen. Everything that they used to do church is gone. This church gave thousands of dollars to help them get back on their feet. We heard about a young family who's struggling because of medical issues. We came alongside them and helped this family. This week, we have started conversations with a major hospital in this city to come alongside their nurses and their doctors and their medical school staff who have been going through this difficult season and asking, how can we bring joy into your world during this time? That I love that we are a church that's generous around the world. It's not just something that we say. It's something that we actually do. It's not difficult. It's just saying, God, what I have is yours. You can have it. You can have it. Use it. Use it. And then look how this story ends. Chapter 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Listen, this was not the religious leader's agenda. Verse 3. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. I mean, I read this and I go, come on. I mean, in a two-week period, two-week period, 8,000 people. That's roughly 16% of the entire city of Jerusalem during this time experiences the, the gospel of Jesus and gives their life to it because two men, two men were willing to remove the noise of their life, be tuned in and totally dependent upon God to be moved as the Spirit led them. And because of this good deed, because of this good deed of healing a man who could not walk for 40 years, Peter and John end up in prison. And then the next day, they go to trial where they're standing before Caiaphas, the chief priest, who not two months earlier had crucified their Lord Jesus. Now I want to pause in the story here and take you back to the life of Jesus. Because when Jesus started talking about the Holy Spirit, he referred to the Holy Spirit as the great comforter. You remember this? He referred to Jesus or to the Holy Spirit as the great comforter. And the question that we have to ask is if our lives are so comfortable, why is it that we would ever need a great comforter? You hear what I'm saying? If our lives are, are so cushy and so comfortable, why is it that we would ever need someone to come alongside and comfort us? See, when it comes to the pages of Scripture, typically what we see is that spirit-filled individuals typically end up in situations where they would normally be afraid where all of their comfort is lost. Desperate situations like Peter and John find themselves here, on trial before the man who would, wanted nothing more than to stomp out Christianity and those who followed Jesus. And I mean, come on, if you know Peter's story, I'm sure that you do, whether you're a believer or not, whether it's your first time, you've probably heard Peter's story. That Peter's probably most famous for when Jesus was on trial before Caiaphas, that a little 12-year-old girl came up to him and said, hey, hey, aren't you, aren't you one of Jesus' boys? Aren't you one of the disciples? And before a 12-year-old girl, Peter cowers. 
He cowers because he knows that if he's at all associated with Jesus, that he'll be before Caiaphas too, and he'll meet the same end where Jesus is going. And he runs away. And then we have here, not, not 10 weeks later, we see Peter go from a coward to all of a sudden courageous, like, like he's bold here, that he's filled with the Spirit, and he puts his comfort behind him, and everything's in, on the line, including his life, and standing before the council, standing before Caiaphas, he says these words in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. And we go, Peter, what got into you? How did you go from coward to this kind of boldness? And the reality is, is that when we allow the Spirit to fill our lives, or if we want the Spirit to fill our lives, that we have to be willing to step out of our comfort zone from time to time. That we have to be able to, to be willing to risk. And I'm not just talking like, like little risks, but risks like, like if God doesn't come through, it's not going to work. Like it's in those moments where the Spirit works in us. And the problem, the problem is that for so many of us, we have these, these carefully curated lives that are so risk-adverse that we're not willing to step out of our comfort zone at all. And then we stand back and we go, God, why aren't you working? Like, where's your presence in our lives? See, when we do this, it doesn't have to be big and miraculous. It can happen in, in everyday life. A few years ago, Pastor Brad and I, we were at Old Chicago, at the pizza restaurant, eating lunch together. Do you remember when we were able to do that, you know? And so we were eating lunch together and, and just having our conversation. And our server came to fill up our drinks, like servers are supposed to do. And as the server walked up to our table, Brad stopped the conversation with me, looked to the server, and said, it's going to be okay. Can I pray for you? And I'm thinking, what are you doing? And she's tears, <laughs> cries everywhere. She shares her whole story with us, the hardship that she's going through in her life. We pray with her. After we're done praying, she looks at us and she goes, it feels like a weight has been lifted off our sho my shoulders. We give her some information about Jesus. Brad gives, him, gives her, her great, uh, his great CD, his musical CD that he's made. And she goes on about her day. And after all that happened, I looked at Brad, and I was like, okay, bro, <laughs> like, like, what's going on? Like, like, why did you do that? And he's like, man, I just, I just felt like the Spirit was nudging me. And I go, yeah, 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 but that was risky, man. Like, like what if she just looked at you blankly? Like, what would you, what would you have done? Like, 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 that was a risk. And he goes, I guess it's worth it. I was like, I guess so, right? Like, like, it doesn't have to be the big and miraculous that nobody in that moment would have said that was miraculous. If you had been there, it would have just been two guys praying with a girl who was going through a hard day. See, on this day, instead of running into the darkness, instead of running and hiding at the first sign of trouble, Peter begins to boldly proclaim the message 
of the church. That Jesus is the Son of God, living perfect in every way, went to the cross to die for the forgiveness of, this, of sins, raising again three days later, validating his message, and whoever believes in that will be saved. And for all of those at the trial, here's what they thought, verse 13. They saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. And then my favorite verse in all of the Bible, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. <sighs> May that be true of our lives. May that be true of our lives. Years ago, a decade ago or so, Pastor Brad, again, wrote me one morning about his devotion out of Acts. We were about in this place. And he wrote to me and he said, this is my conclusion, Matt. He says, if we want to know Jesus, hear Jesus, follow Jesus, we need his spirit. We need his spirit. That was 10 years ago. This Bible is a Bible that I use almost every day to read out of the scriptures, and that quote's right on the front page. A reminder to me that if I want Jesus, if I want, if I want to follow Jesus, if I want to hear Jesus, that I need Jesus' spirit. Listen, I don't want God moments to be those rare stories when I'm preaching a three-week message on the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be the guy that, that's surprised when God shows up. No, I want to be the guy that's surprised when God doesn't show up. That's what I want to be. I want to be the guy that's living such a spirit-filled life that when people go, hey, 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 do you see that guy over there? You go, who, who, Matt? Yeah, yeah, that guy, he's been with Jesus. And I'm telling you, I want to lead a church that when the community looks at Crossroads Church, they go, hey, do you know that church? Yeah, 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 that church. Those people, they have been with Jesus. And we can do it. Like, let's do it. Let's be tuned in in our lives and discipline ourselves to take the noise of our lives out, to walk in boldness, to be willing to risk so that the Spirit would work in us so that when people saw us years from now, they would look at us and they go, undoubtedly, I don't know much about them, but I know that they have been with Jesus. Will you pray with me, Father? Lord, would you fill us with your spirit? God, would we know the spirit's presence in our lives? Lord, we come before you not doubting your promise one bit, but without shame and hesitation, we come and we acknowledge our needs and we're asking for a, a fresh stirring, a fresh filling of your spirit. Lord, we know that apart from your spirit that we can't believe the gospel the way that we want to. We can't love the way that we want to. And so, Father, I pray in the power that raised Jesus from the dead that you would come alongside and that you would heal my underbelieving and my overachieving heart. Lord, that we would come to see you. Lord, that you, would, that you would open the eyes of our heart to see more of you and that you would dazzle us and that you would buckle our knees under your splendor. 
that we would have a renewed sense of awareness of your glory and your grace. Lord, that you would grant us the power to be tuned in to your love and that your love would be enough. Lord, that your love would be the most compelling and propelling thing in our lives. Lord, that you would take that love and that you would turn our our whining into worship and the noise of our life into silence and our timidity into boldness and that we would go about like Peter and John, Lord, proclaiming your good news to all of the world's. And Lord, that as we do and as you interrupt our lives, Lord, in those moments that you would show up and we would sit back in awe of your goodness. Lord, Pastor Kim has prayed many times over this church that you're working all things out for your glory and for our good. And so, Lord, we pray that that may be the case even today as your spirit fills our lives. May people recognize that we have been with Jesus. It's in the power of Jesus' name I pray. Amen.